One comment about age is that as much as uh, stroke risk increases with age and and it's uh, way more common after age uh, 65, it can occur at any age, including children, unfortunately. So one should never ignore a stroke symptom just because you're young. And one of my most dramatic uh, success stories was in a 26 year old um, uh, about a decade ago where I did mechanical thrombectomy and he completely regained um, his paralyzed left side. But that, because he, he uh, was recognized early and, and uh, was, was brought in as a stroke. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Hello, Public Health Insight listeners. My name is Ben, and I'm here with Gordon, LaShawn, and a special guest who will be introduced later. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. More than 13.5 million people suffer from a stroke worldwide, with strokes being the fourth leading cause of death. We often think as public health as being solely focused on implementing broad environmental approaches to improve the social and physical environment, promote healthy behaviors, and make healthy choices the easier choices. However, in the case of stroke prevention, a crucial role of public health is to promote health systems interventions to more effectively deliver high-quality preventive services. To discuss some of these innovative medical interventions to improve the health outcomes of patients experiencing a stroke, we have the pleasure of speaking with someone who is at the cutting edge in their field. He is an interventional stroke neurologist in Miami, Florida, and is affiliated with multiple hospitals in the area, including Jackson Health System, University of Miami Hospital, Miami Veterans Affairs Healthcare System, and the University of Miami Hospital and Clinics. He received his medical degree from Seth G.S. Medical College and is in practice for 23 years. He is here to provide his expertise regarding strokes, as well as discuss his role and initiative as the chair of the Society of Vascular and Interventional Neurology's global campaign called Mission Thrombectomy 2020+. This initiative is leading a no-holds-barred charge to accelerate access and remove geographical disparities to mechanical thrombectomy, an interventional treatment for a common type of disabling stroke. Please welcome to the Public Health Insight Podcast, Dr. Dilip Yavagal. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. A real pleasure to uh, join you. Awesome. So before we dive into the discussion of your initiatives, we wanted to talk about the context of strokes for our audience who may not be familiar with the issue. So if you don't mind, what exactly is a stroke and why does it have a public health significance? Great question. Uh, the word stroke was uh, coined in order to characterize what actually happens uh, to a patient uh, when they get a stroke, which is a sudden change in their neurologic outwardly appearance, like getting paralyzed on one side. And the fact that it happens suddenly is why uh, the namers uh, uh, called it a stroke. It's like a lightning of stroke. Mm-hmm. And it actually, uh, though a very appropriate, uh, when you think about it this way, causes a lot of confusion as to what actually it is. And, and, and to some extent, uh, really needs a change to the more modern term brain attack. Mm. Uh, so the uh, <clears throat> uh, pathology that happens is either a sudden blockage in the artery uh, or arter- uh, one of the arteries, I should say, going to a part of the brain, which is the more common type of stroke occurring about 85% of the times. And about 15% of the times, it's one of the vessels bursting in the brain and causing bleeding. 
both these events manifest as a part of the brain not functioning and the most common and the widely recognized symptom is paralysis on one side but then there are other very important less dramatic uh symptoms which are uh easy to rem- remember with the acronym b fast mm-hmm. uh sudden loss of balance with a b mm-hmm. sudden loss of vision or difficulty with vision with e as an i and then f as as a sudden uh deviation or drooping of the face uh with the with the acronym uh letter f and then a for arm that suddenly starts to uh to uh fall down or or be weak and then um s is for a sudden speech change or difficulty uh and then the t is actually for time uh, is of the essence and call 911 Uh, and so these are uh, the outwardly symptoms that occur when a stroke occurs. So that's in a nutshell uh, what a what a stroke is. From the research that we've done, stroke is a leading cause of death, and it, lo- le- it leads to a lot of serious long-term disability as well. As quoted by the CDC, there's roughly 800,000 strokes that occur each year, and the estimated healthcare cost to due to stroke is 104 billion, approximately. So with stroke being such a time sensitive disease what can we do from an intervention point either proactively through public health measures or within the healthcare system that we should be looking into Again another superb question and remember these are only US figures mm-hmm. which obviously is our our uh, primary concern as uh, uh, being in the US but Uh, the total burden which you mentioned is is uh, several fold more mm-hmm. but that um uh is a reason uh for us to uh design systems that can handle the uh occurrence of this uh disease and uh delivery of very effective therapies now uh, that are now available mm-hmm. the um challenge is that we have to reverse uh, hundreds of years of nihilism towards stroke because we really couldn't do much until 90, 1996 mm-hmm. uh, where when the first uh, medication uh, called the uh, uh, clot busting medication commonly or known or the uh, pharmacologic name um, TPA was approved by the FDA and it's given via vein and then only in 2015 uh did the approval of uh, mechanical thrombectomy which is the primary focus of MT2020 plus uh come to the fore and this uh change is quite quite uh recent and and quite sudden if you want to characterize it that way and the challenge is that because the treatment is so time sensitive uh it it needs to be delivered within 4 and 1/2 hours for the intravenous clot busting medication mm-hmm. and within 24 hours for a mechanical thrombectomy and what that means is that there there uh is a real need for triaging uh the right patients to the right hospital in the right frame of time uh and and again the outcomes are uh even in that time frame are better when done, when the surgery or the medication is given earlier and so these systems are uh, something like trauma systems or like systems that um were have been designed for heart attacks but without that system access to this care can be quite delayed and and the patient can actually uh not end up getting 
uh, any care because they fall out of the window. So, so for people listening, they might say, you know, this stroke sound like a very complicated thing. I'm in my 40s. This doesn't really affect me. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of those, the, the risk factors, whether it's modifiable or the unmodifiable risk factors that people should be aware of that can increase the risk of having a stroke. Absolutely. So the the um, uh, unmodifiable risk factors, uh, which uh, again are, are something that uh, in the future we uh, could end up modifying, mm-hmm. but our age and um, and in the uh, male gender is affected uh, more in, in, at an earlier age as compared to women. Ultimately, women have more strokes; they live longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other non-modifiable factor is family history or genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but having said that, I think they these factors uh, give us a idea of when to f- start focusing even more mm-hmm. uh, as uh, uh, you age, uh, as once you know you have a family history of stroke, um, and and uh, you know <clears throat> depending on your gender. Uh, that you are at a higher risk of stroke. But having said that, one comment about age is that as much as uh, stroke risk increases with age and and it's uh, way more common after age uh, 65, it can occur at any age, including children, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So one should never ignore a stroke symptom just because you're young. Mm -hmm. And one of my most dramatic uh, success stories was in a 26-year-old um, uh, about a decade ago where I did mechanical thrombectomy and he completely regained um, his paralyzed left side. Mm-hmm. But that, because he, he uh, was recognized early and, and uh, was, was brought in as a stroke. Uh, but the, the modifiable risk factors are obviously the ones that uh, all of us should focus on. And they are uh, high blood pressure uh, that uh, should be detected and con- controlled right away, um, high blood sugar, uh, so uh, fasting blood sugars uh, need to be checked. Uh, a condition called atrial fibrillation increases your risk of stroke fivefold. Mm. Uh, it is irregularly irregular heartbeat. Uh, and so that is something that is silent. Um, uh, the vast majority of the times you cannot feel any palpitations or any irregularity unless your doctor checks for it. So again, regular checkups. Mm-hmm. And then very heavy alcohol use is a risk factor. Drugs are a risk factor, cocaine, uh, like drugs, and, and even uh, several other hard drugs. And then um, sedentary lifestyle and obesity are now uh, well established to be, uh, to be risk factors for, uh, for stroke. And so all of these, and then there are some other genetic syndromes, but they fall again in the uh, non-modifiable mm-hmm. um, category. So these are sort of the uh, main, and smoking, I, I forgot a very, very important uh, risk factor there. Smoking increases your risk many fold. Mm-hmm. And that is something uh, one has to absolutely quit right away uh, to prevent uh, the future risk of stroke. Yeah, very interesting. Um, another thing that came to mind is, um, are there any risks associated with like social, economic or environmental risks? Yeah, so, so certainly, you know, um, these are factors that are being worked out now. Air pollution is uh, definitely uh, a, a risk factor uh, that's, that's getting uh, proven in multiple studies again and again. Um, a, a lower socioeconomic 
demographic does bring in a host of factors that ultimately seem to increase uh, the the risk of stroke and and having long-term effects of stroke more than if you were in a higher um, socioeconomic and educational category. So these are certainly um, uh, risk factors that that uh, that are are now being worked out as increasing our risk of stroke. And I, I forgot uh, one other important factor, which is race and ethnicity. Mm. So African-Americans are several fold, um, and this is a non-modifiable factor, mm. but they are several fold at higher risk um, as compared to whites, uh, as are, uh, so, and, and below uh, African-Americans or Hispanics, they have a um, higher risk of uh, stroke as compared to um, to whites mm, yeah you know one of the interesting things I find when we're we're talking about these um, conditions is that um, often for example a stroke or dementia they're often associated with age and as you mentioned that was one of the uncontrollable risk factors and oftentimes people chalk it up and say you know this is just something that happens when you get older but how can we shift that narrative to show them that many, um, a large percentage of strokes that occur are indeed preventable. Yes, uh, it's it's absolutely true that the vast majority of strokes, even at an older age, are preventable uh, because we um, have interventions for uh, intervening the in the mechanisms of stroke. And and uh, just to uh, get into a little detail about this, so that we all understand. Um, the reason the, the blockage kind of stroke occurs is a clot uh, comes up uh, and blocks an artery in the brain. And and uh, a smaller percentage of times, there is plaque buildup in one of the arteries of the brain and then a clot forms on top of that plaque all of a sudden uh, due to various processes and the artery gets blocked. But the, um, the uh, way this mechanism can be modified as you can imagine is to prevent the source of clots which is uh, often the heart and sometimes um, we we can't find the source but uh, again you know the clot formation can be uh, can be decreased by um, by being on blood thinners and avoiding smoking and high blood pressure and then the other uh, source of blood clots is plaque buildup in the arteries in the neck, like the carotid artery. And so again, um, you know, measures to decrease cholesterol and high blood pressure prevent that. And of course, medications uh, like uh, called statins are very powerful in, in uh, preventing um, this plaque buildup. So these are all uh, factors uh, that can be, uh, can be blocked in this mechanistic pathway, thus reducing your risk of stroke. So while this all happens with age, you, you can break this um, chain and, and, and decrease your risk of stroke. The other uh, type of stroke is the bleeding kind of stroke, also called hemorrhagic stroke. And that uh, uh, results from a very high blood pressure, which can be very well controlled now in the vast majority of patients. The biggest thing is it's a silent killer, so it needs to be detected. Uh, you know, uh, as soon as your late twenties or early thirties, regular checkups can pick it up, and um, and and that can be uh, modified. And then a heavy alcohol use is a big risk factor for hemorrhagic stroke, as is smoking. So all these are because they they affect the vessel wall, hmm. and so while age uh, uh, is is something that we can't counter. 
all these other additive factors are, are what can be modified and countered. And so uh, we, we should really realize that uh, th this um, happening of stroke as we get older is not inevitable mm -hmm. and can be prevented. What prevention plans have existed historically? I know you touched upon TPAs, but on top of that, what else has happened with setting up a stroke system? Yeah, so, so uh, as soon as uh, TPA was approved, uh, th there, there was a big push uh, from uh, the American Heart and Stroke Association, AHA, ASA, and several other uh, stakeholders, including a government, um, uh, uh, governmental bodies, in, uh, in including uh, health departments, to deliver this very powerful therapy. The um, efforts did bear fruit, but the four and a half hour window is so tight mm. that uh, you know it, it took uh, almost a decade and a half to get the access uh, up from about two to three percent to around. 10% or so even in the US and, and much less around the globe where the resources for such systems for rapid triage are are way lower than, than what we have here. But that um, has uh, become significantly easier and I use the word easier in a very relative term because TPA systems um, which are uh, delivered by centers that are certified as primary stroke centers um, were uh, the, the solution that existed, but uh, mechanical thrombectomy extended this window to 24 hours uh, as of 2018. The first extension was uh, six hours, and then the um, next extension happened in 2018, where it uh, was extended to uh, 24 hours. And um, what happened is that uh, a new category of centers needed to be certified called thrombectomy stroke centers uh, or uh, comprehensive stroke centers. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that uh, has been a major push uh, from the Joint Commission to get uh, centers certified as comprehensive stroke centers and then more recently thrombectomy stroke centers so that uh, we can um, uh, designate the uh, tra uh, transport of suspected stroke patients from the field mm -hmm. to the correct center and uh, these can be distributed um, geographically in a in a equitable manner so that um, patients can get to these centers within the hour mm -hmm. uh, and 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 even earlier however this is actually a much tougher uh, task than than one can uh, imagine and even as of uh, 2019, uh, the uh, only about 56% or so of the U.S. population is within one hour access mm. of a of a thrombectomy stroke center, mm. uh, which uh, really is the uh, treatment for severe strokes called large vessel occlusion stroke. So there's a lot of work to be done in the U.S. and and if you think about what is uh, happening in the rest of the world especially the low and middle income countries, um, it's a much lower access to thrombectomy um, than, than what we have in the US currently. Absolutely, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because my next question was gonna be talking about geographical disparities. And you, I'm glad you also mentioned middle and low income countries who may not have the healthcare, healthcare infrastructure to provide these services. Do you think it's, of course, we build upon the healthcare services, but also 
a push for more public health measures to prevent stroke. Like for example, if we're talking about the risk factors being diet, sedentary lifestyles, should we have more um, push for messaging regarding healthy, balanced diets, physical activity and stress reduction? I think you're absolutely right. And um, there is no more powerful um, message than showing what the end result uh, could be if if these measures are not followed uh, because you know the the messaging uh, which is good uh, is is um, um, so sometimes um, uh, because easy to become s sort of uh, numb to or 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 get too used mm -hmm. to and, and easy to ignore when uh, the end result is not uh, clarified or clear uh, when the messaging is done. Uh, and, and so I think saying that this is a powerful way of preventing being disabled for many years uh, is the kind of messaging that is needed throughout the world. And it's harder uh, in lower uh, resource uh, settings because people have to uh, spend their time, you know, earning earning their living. Mm -hmm. And that, that uh, certainly takes away from the time needed to exercise and find healthy foods. Uh, so there's just obviously a lot of science behind this that uh, I, I am not an expert at, but but certainly I think the messaging part is, is um, very important and I'm a strong advocate that this preventive message uh, needs to happen with more and more refined strategies uh, and, and on, a, on a constant basis. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, def I definitely appreciate that approach because, you know, while you're one of the leading experts in your field for medical interventions for strokes, you also recognize the value of prevention. And we have, you know, when we talk about prevention, there's you know, primary prevention, which deals with, you know, addressing those modifiable risk factors. Secondary prevention deals with more early detection. And you alluded to, um, if you're, if you're, you know, if you have, if you have high blood pressure, it's something you want to be screened for and have it treated early before it becomes a chronic problem. And then, the tertiary level of prevention for people who are at the point where they need those critical interventions that they do have access to it so i think tying everything together and focusing and realizing all the importance of all these different levels of prevention is essential to treating um preventing and then preventing strokes and then preventing some of those negative outcomes associated with people that have strokes so i very much appreciate that um, take on everything absolutely this was our discussion about strokes, the warning signs, and risk factors with Dr. Yavagel, a world-renowned interventional stroke neurologist. To learn more about his initiative called Mission Thrombectomy 2020+, and how he is working to accelerate access to crucial stroke interventions, please join us for part two of this informative conversation next week. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.